Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. There's just no way to tell the story of Jesus and not talk about miracles. They they were just such a big part of his life and certainly a big part of the gospel narrative. Now, miracles didn't start with Jesus, of course. You'll remember in our whole journey through the Old Testament, there there were lots of miracles. And by the way, after the gospels throughout the rest of the New Testament, there are there are more miracles. The Bible is full of miracle stories. Remember, God working on behalf or through or for uh, God's people in in many, many ways, and sometimes individuals like like Moses and Aaron or Elijah and Elisha uh, in the Old Testament, the apostles, uh, Paul in the New Testament, all performing miracles or being the vessels, I should say, that God worked miracles through. But uniquely, Jesus' life was characterized by miracles. He was known by many for the miracles he performed. His his birth to a virgin mother, of course, was a miracle. His first miracle was turning water into wine. He he drove out demons. He healed the sick. There, There were times he seemed to know things that he wasn't supposed to know. Remember, he calmed the storms out on the sea. He walked on water. There was the miracle catch of fish. And then, of course, the greatest miracle story of all that we'll talk about more in in just a few weeks is his resurrection, his conquering death. Well, I I chose for today as as sort of a a symbolic story of miracles, uh, the feeding of the 5,000 from John's gospel. All of the miracle stories in Scripture, the ones Jesus performed, the ones that were performed before him and and after his resurrection, in every case, miracles in Scripture are a sign of God's power. That's obvious. But more importantly, they're a sign of God's care. Rarely are they just showy for the sake of being showy. They, They meet a human need. And I think most importantly, they remind us that that God is active and present in this world, meeting real human needs. Like I said, it's, it's less about the spectacle and more about God's heart, God's compassion, God's ability to act when there is need. You just think about Jesus' miracles. Often they were a response to suffering. Sometimes a response to faith. Sometimes an opportunity to calm anxiety and fear. A meeting of practical needs. Restoring health and wholeness for people who are broken. Making impossible things possible. 
Now, it should also be said, there were times that Jesus refused to perform miracles. Often he was asked for a sign. You may remember when we talked about when he was in the synagogue in his own hometown of Nazareth, and he refused to perform a sign, a miracle. That, that, that wasn't what Jesus was about. He wasn't a, a sideshow performer. He wasn't trying to impress people with his power. It's not why he came. It's not what he was about. Jesus used his power, his miraculous power, very selectively, always revealing the heart of God at work in him, always in response to a real human need. The author Rachel Held Evans says, what makes the Bible, Bible's miracle stories so compelling is the idea that God cares about human suffering. Not simply their spiritual blindness or spiritual poverty, but also their actual blindness and their actual poverty. The author Philip Yancey adds, though they did not solve all of the problems on earth, Jesus' miracles were a sign of how the world should be and someday will be. They were at once a reminder of a broken world and a preview of the future. I, I think I probably should confess to you that I, I struggle with the topic of miracles. In fact, preparing for this sermon has not been easy for me. I've kind of struggled through it. Now, it's easy for me to talk about Jesus and the, the stories of the miracles that he performed. I, I believe in Jesus and I believe the stories about him are true. But I suppose what I'm confessing to you is, is the question, what, what do I believe about miracles? What, what does Vance, both Vance, the follower of Jesus, the, the person, the man, and the pastor, believe about what is true today? What, what ought we believe about miracles? What ought we ask God to do miraculously? What ought we expect. When I was the youth director here at First Church about 30 years ago, I, I had just recently graduated from college at UCF. One of my fraternity brothers, Carl, had just had a, a, a terrible, life-threatening aneurysm in his brain. Occasionally, I would do hospital visits for the church, and so I stopped in to see him, and it was a terrible sight. His, his head was shaved. There was a, a, a large scar on the right side of his head where they had to relieve the, the pressure. He was brain damaged. He, he was uh, physically unable to get out of bed. It affected his speech. He was very, very emotional. Now, now Carl knew that I was a Christian. He knew that I had hopes of becoming a pastor. He knew that I was working here. I walked in the room, he was, he was sobbing as soon as he saw me. And through the tears and through the very garbled speech, I, I understood that he asked me to heal him. He was asking me to lay my hand on his scarred head and to heal his brokenness. And I froze. 
I didn't know what to do. I had never been in a situation like that. Um, I knew that I couldn't heal him, and that was true. But in that moment of uncertainty about what I believed about miracles, I didn't do anything. I, I didn't even ask Jesus to heal him. And I carry a, a feeling of, of shame about that. I, I, I couldn't have healed Carl that day. That, that's not in my power to do. But I didn't even ask Jesus to do that for him. About 10 years later, I, I was a pastor. We had been sent to Port St. Lucie to start a new church. And, and kind of a, a side job of mine was to write a column for the local paper one of my readers had noticed that we as a church had placed an ad in the newspaper for a garage sale that we were going to have, a little, little fundraiser for the church. It, it was held in the driveway of one of our members' homes. And this woman who, who read the, the, the ad and, and was familiar with my column went to the garage sale in hopes that I would be there to pray for her healing. She had terrible back pain. And she was scheduled to have really significant uh, back surgery. Well, I wasn't there. I had been there earlier in the day. I don't know where I had gone, something else I had to do. But when she asked for me and explained the situation, the volunteers from the church who were there at the garage sale, right there in the midst of the driveway, just gathered around her, laid hands on her, and she was healed. I know that because she started attending our church and became a member of the church. She went to the doctor and the doctor said, you don't need surgery anymore. Now, the really important part in this story, of course, is she got healed, but it hasn't escaped me that it had nothing to do with me. I'd like to believe on that occasion I would have been there and I would have joined in laying on hands and I would have joined in the prayers. But again, it was God who healed that woman. And that's what Carl was asking for those years before. I wrestle with this topic. I, I do feel like I could tell you many stories of miracles that I've witnessed, that I'm familiar with, people in my life that have experienced miracles. I can also tell you stories of miracles that, that never happened. I, I can tell you about, about prayers that I've prayed that, that as of yet have not been answered. I can tell you of, of tragedies that have happened that I can't explain. I can tell you about people that I've prayed for who, who died. Miracles that didn't happen that I might have hoped for. Do I believe in miracles? Of course I do. Do I ask God for miracles? Sometimes. Sometimes. Not always. The truth is, many of us pray for miracles sort of as a last resort. I, I think modern people, we, we explore all the other options, and when we run out of options, then, you know, then ask God what God can do, especially when we're faced with, with overwhelming needs or overwhelming circumstances or overwhelming odds. But interestingly, in today's story about the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples hadn't even noticed there was an overwhelming need or thought that, that there could be a miraculous opportunity. It was Jesus 
who saw the moment and took advantage of it. There was a massive crowd that was following Jesus there on the outskirts of the Sea of Galilee, way off in the country. They say there were about 5,000 men, but that didn't even count the women and children. So, so the numbers were in the tens of thousands, and many had traveled from great distances to see Jesus, probably to hear him teach, but also likely because they heard that he worked miracles. Maybe they just wanted to see the miracle, or maybe they needed a miracle themselves. Whatever the reason, here were all these people far from any village. And Jesus knew they're going to be getting hungry. So John chapter 6, verse 5 and following says, When Jesus looked up and saw a great crowd coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. Philip answered him, it will take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up and said, well, well here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many people? You, you see what's happening here, don't you? Jesus knows what he's going to do. He, he sees the, the multitudes and knows that, that they don't have on supply the bread that would be needed. Jesus knows that he's the one who's going to meet the needs, but he presses the disciples. He puts the problem before them. What are we going to do? Where are we going to get enough bread? And reveals their lack of understanding. Their small-mindedness. When, when facing an overwhelming need, all they could see was their insufficient resources. We, we don't have enough money, Jesus. We can't afford to buy lunch for, for all of these thousands of people. Where, where are we going to get it? There, there are no stores. There's no bakeries. Where, where are we, what, what are we going to do? All, all we have is this kid's lunch, a couple little fish, five loaves of bread. How can we meet the need? Send them home, Jesus. Let, let them deal with their problems. And let's be honest. If we were in their shoes, wouldn't we have thought the same thing? I mean, how can we blame them? You have what you have. You don't have what you don't have. When the piggy bank is empty, it's empty. When you max out the credit card, it's maxed out. When the cupboards are bare, the cupboards are bare. When you don't know what to do, you don't know what to do. What were they supposed to do? They couldn't just create bread out of thin air, could they? Or, or could they? Maybe something here is possible that they hadn't considered. I wonder, have you ever been in a situation where you faced an overwhelming obstacle, an overwhelming need, an overwhelming problem, and, and what you have to deal with the problem feels inadequate? Have you ever felt inadequate? I suspect we all have. In fact, if I'm honest, I would say I have felt that exact thing every day of this pandemic. 
What the disciples at this point don't understand and what I think you and I too quickly forget is that the issue was not what they could or couldn't do. And when we are in situations, when we feel overwhelmed, the issue isn't what we can or can't do. The question is and was and always has to be, what can Jesus do? Is five loaves and two fresh fish enough to feed the crowd? Of course not. But put that in the hands of Jesus, well, you might be surprised. And so Jesus took those five loaves of bread and he, he started breaking them. And, and, and as he broke them, it, it seemed that the bread increased and, and, and it grew. And, and he started passing it out to all the people. And, and there's more, and there's more, and there's more. And, and after everybody has had a chance to eat, and is full, they go around and collect all the bread, and oh, you know how the story goes. There were 12 baskets of leftovers. They, they started out with not enough. They started out with insufficient resources. But in the end, those insufficient resources, placed in the hands of Jesus, were more than sufficient. I think the bottom line of this story and the bottom line about the Gospels is never underestimate Jesus. The disciples did it all the time. And if I'm honest, I do too. They were right in their estimation that, that they couldn't solve this problem, that they didn't have what it took to, to feed the multitudes hadn't yet comprehended what was possible for Jesus. Now, now, what's interesting to me in the Gospel of John that we're reading from today, this was not the first of Jesus' miracles. He had already turned water to wine at the wedding in Cana, and by the way, way more wine than they really needed. Then he healed a, a royal official's son, and then he healed a paralytic at the pool of Bethesda. They had seen these miracles before the feeding of the 5,000. Now, now this story, of the feeding of the multitudes, appears in all of the Gospels. And if you read the other Gospel accounts, more different miracles had occurred. If you kind of, kind of mush them all together, it's obvious the, the disciples had seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet... Every time, the disciples seem shocked. They didn't expect it. They always seem completely surprised, and they certainly were this day. The story reminds me of my favorite verse of Scripture, which I know you've heard me reference before, Matthew 17, 20. Jesus said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, just tiny, you can say to a mountain, Move from, from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Just have a little bit of faith, not faith in yourself, faith in Jesus and his power, his love, his compassion. If you have a little bit of faith in him and who he is, nothing will be impossible. And if I'm honest, as much as I love that promise, I forget it on a daily basis. 
I am guilty of underestimating Jesus all the time. Maybe it's because the problems just seem too big or like the disciples, my resources just seem too small. Or maybe the truth is sometimes I feel too small. I feel inadequate. Maybe it's I don't want to be disappointed because I've asked Jesus for miracles before that as far as I'm aware haven't happened. Maybe I'm guilty of over-intellectualizing my faith. Maybe if I'm honest, I'm angry at God for some disappointments. Maybe sometimes I'm overly complacent. Maybe I lack sufficient faith, even the size of a mustard seed, or even faith and resources like five loaves and two fish. If I'm honest, I'll admit I, I admire Jesus. I, I take him very seriously. I like Jesus a lot. I, I have deep respect for him. I study him on a daily basis. I teach about him. I even worship him. I strive to, to imitate him. But I don't always trust him. That's the truth of it. I don't always trust that Jesus is going to do what I think Jesus needs to do. Maybe it's just easier to respect him at a safe distance, lower my expectations, and just accept my reality. Well, the thing is, Jesus never seems to be content to leave the disciples or me in a place of spiritual complacency. Just like in the story, they did not expect Jesus to feed the multitudes for, for for some reason, from time to time, Jesus just seems to like to perform a miracle that I wasn't prepared for. Truth is, I don't often even know it's happening when it's happening. I don't often see it until later. I may be ignorant that a miracle is happening right in front of me. Or maybe it's happening in ways I just wouldn't have expected. So remember my fraternity brother Carl he asked for a miracle obviously he believed in a miracle and I should have believed in a miracle for him but I just didn't know what to do that day and I let him down I haven't seen Carl since that day but I've heard stories about Carl his speech recovered his ability to get up and walk recovered. He did lose much of the ability on, on one part of his brain, but he learned to use the other part of his brain, which brought out a whole new dimension of his personality, and he actually applied and went to law school and became a lawyer. Is that a miracle? It sure seems, one like, sure seems like one to me. Whoever you want to give the credit to, I think Carl would call it a miracle. I wonder what miracle you might need in your life. I wonder if you need to be reminded today that all you need is the faith the size of a mustard seed. You can say to your insurmountable challenge, your 
your huge obstacle, your overwhelming need, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, tell it move from here to there and it will. And because of the love, grace, mercy, and power of Jesus, it will. Nothing will be impossible for you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.